1: 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight the shared experience saves lives. Due to coronavirus restrictions in Melbourne, we're chatting via Zoom. Today's guest is a compulsive gambler who is recovering with the help of gamblers and artists. I'd like to welcome Paul to the show. Hi, Paul. Hi, Bill. So, Paul, we usually start talking about growing up and and the sort of things that influenced you early in your life. So what was life like for you as a child?
2: Okay, well, at a very young age, at the age, in fact, of about one, my, my mother left my father and he got custody of me. And then I went to live with my grandmother and my aunt. And my grandmother from as long as I can remember of a Saturday, you couldn't interrupt her because she was getting the scratchings from the races. And I grew up in Balmain and there were a lot of SP bookmakers uh, around. This is pre-TAB days anyway. So around, uh, I think I was somewhere between eight or nine, somewhere around that. It was only 10 minutes walk from the house. And I would, uh, I would run the bets for my grandmother of a, of a sat day. And every now and again, if uh, on the rare occasion when she did win, because uh, she wasn't a very good putter, she would sling me a couple of bob. And if she did, the next time I went down, I'd say, you know, a shilling each way, such and such a horse for Hilda. And in fact, it was for me, as about an <laughs> eight-year-old kid. And I, I don't know if the bookie down there uh, was at the back of a house. I, I don't know if uh, if he knew or not or even cared. So I grew up listening to Ken Howard as the the race broadcaster of the day, you know, getting the tips from um, Clarence the clocker. And uh, I, I, I say this sometimes to people a lot younger than myself and they, they wonder who I'm talking about, but uh, I thought these people were fabulous characters. So... That engaged me in an interest in uh, horse racing and of course watching the races when they were televised and seeing the the jockeys the, uh, on the beautiful horses and the, and all the beautiful colored silks i I got a real interest in in punting also our family we used to catch up regularly. my grandmother was one of twelve kids, and they used to catch up at one of the Raleigh's houses at her sister's house at Gladesville, a fairly big house and all my uh, cousins, and second cousins, we'd be in one room and we'd be playing penny poker and the adults, all family members, maybe a few friends there, are playing for a lot larger amounts of money, poker I think mostly. So the interest in cards then um, also grew and I took great satisfaction out of, wasn't the amount I was winning, it was just the fact that I I won it, it. It made me feel
1: made me feel better about myself, really. Yeah. So, what was what was life like at school for you? Did you have lots of friends?
2: Yeah, I did. In primary school, I was uh, uh, well. I was very very studious, uh, as well as interest in gambling. But I was very studious. I was was liked by my teachers and given a couple of special jobs to do at the school and in fact I topped the school uh, in primary school and went to a selective high school but things changed a lot once I got into high school and of course the hormones and everything else kicked in.
1: Yeah so what was what was so different about going to high school? Well just just
2: feeling like uh, it wasn't so bad the first year uh, of high school Although I um, had a blue with my French teacher over something and I got kicked out of class and I was put in somewhere else. But by the second year in high school, it started to be lost to me, even though I was still interested, I was particularly interested in science and I had a, a great science teacher. I was particularly interested and I would have thought, and astronomy and things like that. And I, I would have thought that I would have, Want to gravitate to something towards that, but then in my teens, I was going to the local snooker room in Balmain, which, funnily enough, was right opposite the police station. And in this uh, in this snooker room, naturally, they they had the uh, the snooker tables, the big snooker tables, which I I started to um, to learn off the older kids how to play snooker. I liked it. I never a champion, but I liked it. But there was also an SB bookie there, and there were illegal card games of different sizes. And to get some extra pocket money, the bloke that owned it—now this is the truth—he was Nick the Greek. Okay, without a word of a lie, <laughs> and one of my little tasks to to get some money was to take a carton of beer over to the police station of a Saturday afternoon. And for that, I would get $5. And $5 in the 60s, uh, as probably about a 14, 15 year old, was a lot of money to me, you know. It's probably, I might have got about that amount as pocket money, I think. But uh, yeah, it was another way of getting a quid back in the day.
1: It must have been quite an experience to walk into a police station (laughs) with a carton of beer.
2: Well, you know, they, I I, I was nervous as hell the first time, but from then on in, yeah, good on you mate. There, yeah, yeah. Well next week bring two cartons and all this sort of thing, you know, but there was the occasional raid and it was all sort of a a stitch up on this this place. And I think some of the older men might've got, um, they got some money for, for actually participating in the raid, I'm not sure how it worked, but and I'll go on to tell you about this a little later. But many many years later, walking into the police station was um, was because I was being arrested. Unfortunately, it wasn't it wasn't a, fr- a friendly uh, a friendly episode <laughs> later.
1: Right. So, uh, were you one of how many children?
2: I was a. Um, a single child. As I said, my mother and father split up when I was only one year old and subsequently divorced. But in my later life, I met up with my mother. I was in my forties and I've got, well, I did have, I've still got a stepsister. One of the brothers has died and the other one I, I only ever met once and have no contact with. My stepsister I met when, let me think how old I was. I was probably mid 40s or something like that. And actually she's in another fellowship. I um, discussed issues with her, surrounding her problems at the time. Yeah, she's uh, also been a long time in, in, um, in recovery, but we did have a falling out for a, for a period through my mother and uh, there was no contact for about maybe about 12 years and uh, now we've had uh, we've had a lot of contact and in fact after i get off this uh, zoom meeting today i'll uh, i'll
1: contact her yeah okay so what about relationships were you a sort of a an isolating sort of kid keep to yourself I,
2: i could be happy in my own company but i i did have a lot of friends and in fact I've recently, well, a couple of months ago, joined a group, a local group, even though many of the people uh, that no longer live in the area, but they still have the connection, uh, I guess a spiritual connection with the area. And, uh, you know, they live interstate and they all, all over the place sort of thing. And many of these these people, you know, I've been, uh, I've been talking with, most of them I haven't seen for 50 years. So, uh, you know, gonna try and post-COVID, we're gonna try and catch up.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Making that connection again.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's good, but funnily enough, and it's not an important part of the discussion, but just reading various messages, uh, for a lot of them, their politics aren't my politics. So <laughs> that'll be a bit different.
1: Yeah, I I found a similar sort of thing myself connecting with people I went to uh, high school with. Yeah, very different politics. <laughs> it's hard to make that connection. That is, that is. So what about relationships? Did you find yourself easy in relationships? Yeah, I I had,
2: um, I would describe myself now, and this is not egotistical in any way, but I love chasing women and, and from a very young age, I was um, interested in women, you know, in my teens, but I'd I'd sort of fall head over heels for them this week, and then, you know, a month later, so I did have a a steady girlfriend for uh, about three years, or no, two years, I think it was, between 13, 14, something like that, I thought, yeah, it was a a, a lovely young woman, but I met her, you know, like 30 years later and
1: so when did gambling start becoming a sort of a mainstream activity for you and what and what was it
2: okay well i used to even even if i was playing sport on the weekend i used to finish up at the snooker room and or quite often of a night at various mates places Uh, homes uh, there'd be a card game I never forget I was about probably around 13 and I went to even though it was in the same suburb um, a local kid he was an apprentice butcher at the time he was a few years older than me and uh, I went to his place with another group to play cards anyway I was I was doing okay the night progressed and by the time I left there, it was about three o'clock in the morning, and I thought, "Oh no, how am I going to explain this?" You know, I did have a house key, thank God, but because I said I'd, I'd be home by night, I don't forget where I told them I was going. So what I did on the way home, which is yeah, foolish and everything else, I found a bit of glass and and um, you know cut my hand and, and stuff like that, and uh, I think I, I I nicked a little bit of my forehead. And I made out I'd been assaulted. And then, of course, my grandmother and her daughter rang the police. And as soon as the police came down, I, I just sort of opened up, probably cried, I think, and said, no, it didn't happen, I was playing cards, you know. And the um, the, co- the cop would probably, if my uh, uh, grandmother wasn't around, probably would have given me a boot up the backside for being an idiot and, you know, caused them trouble, but... Um, yeah it was just like that you know i i want to play cards all the time um i want to bet on horses i um and of course i didn't have any money uh, or much money and one of the things we did probably between the ages of 12 and 14 we'd get up on fa- there was a lot of factories around balmain it was a very industrialised area at the time. And we'd get up in the factory roofs and we'd, we'd strip the lead flushing off the roofs and then go and sell it to the scrap dealer. And, of course, there must have been a lot of um, factory roofs at Balmain that probably leaked in heavy rain. <laughs> but it was a way of getting a quid, you know. That's all you're worried about. You know, you had to you had to get a quid from somewhere because my, my family sort of um, – didn't have any money. I found out in, in much later in life, my aunt, she was my last remaining relative. She died five years ago. She was in her 90s. But she used to work at a, at a factory that once was in Glebe and then was a chemical factory of some description and moved up to Top Right, I think somewhere up there. Uh, but she used to come home and she'd only keep a couple of pounds for herself and leave the rest in the drawer. And my grandmother, as well as getting the pension, also used to take pretty much all this out of the drawer and punt it. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was in the blood.
1: Yeah. So what happened when you left school?
2: I left school at, at 16. As I said, I went to a selective high school. I left school primarily for the reason was that I want to work. I also wanted to find a way of getting out of home. Not that there was anything wrong with the home life that I had, except, of course, the problem of of bringing young ladies home. And I just wanted to be able to earn money. And by the time I um, I was 16, I'd gravitated. I was already drinking, underage drinking, in hotels although the publican used to usually say you know now he's not allowed to get up and order some beers you know you get it for him and get him to sit in the corner and all this sort of thing but but i i'd gravitated to older older people males one of the pubs i i drank at in belmain it was frequented by a lot of merchant seamen and i just love their characters you know Rough, tough bastards they were, you know, and pretty much they all bet. They, you yeah. know, that was the Exchange Hotel. The um, the SP bookie was uh, was straight across the road in an old uh, shop front. And funnily enough, I to talk about him now because he's literally passed away, and so so is his uh, brother. But his uh, his brother was the uh, was the mayor. Uh, of our area at the time, you know, and then he also got caught up in um, some Royal Commission uh, type thing, scandal that was going on, you know. So there were lots of scoundrels around Balmain, and they're the people I like, that character, you know, they
1: fun to be around. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we'll take a short break there.
0: up on the rooftop of an old abandoned flop house, and I watched the drunks go stumbling down on the street, and those kids smashed all our windows, and they tried to steal my bike, it seems there's nothing in this town for them, except for pick and fight thought about that train that runs along beside the Hawkesbury. It takes an hour too long, but it gets you in and out. And her heart is like an ocean of a thousand salty tears. And the streets are lined with shattered glass and broken dreams. It was that night we lit a fire Turned a rabbit on the spit You sang the port of Amsterdam And baked potatoes in a pit We drank a half pint of tequila And I showered with my clothes on We used to go for night swims Down at Nobby's Beach I thought about that train that runs along beside the Hawkesbury. It takes an hour too long, but it gets you in and out. She's a little ink bitter, she's a loaded of deck of cards. The pillows are all hot, and the faces grow so hard.
1: was uh, mojo juju with train along the hawkesbury uh, courtesy of the australian music radio airplay project
0: if you care for a friend or someone in your family with disability a medical condition or who is elderly carer gateway can help you get free support carer gateway has lots of services to help carers there's counseling financial and peer support and online courses that you can do at your own pace they also have respite services to help you look after the person you care for while you take a break Call Carer Gateway on 1800 422 737 or visit the website carergateway.gov.au. A 3CR supporter. Black
1: and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic, Radio, 3 C R.
0: Yeah, join me at eleven every Friday for some black and deadly sound, Appreciate uh, Community radio, eight fifty-five on the AM dial, Voice of the beat, the beat. Black and Deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radio, C, R huh? Yeah, join me at eleven every Friday for some black and deadly sound, see, uh, Community
3: radio,
1: This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll find details about the Living Free Show, how to contact us, as well as information about the 12-step recovery programs we feature on the show. Today I'm talking about compulsive gambling with Paul and we're talking about recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So Paul, we talk about leaving school, getting into work. So when did your gambling start becoming a major part of your life? Well,
2: my first job was with an insurance company and I used to get paid fortnightly. And that was on a Thursday. And Thursday night at the snooker room that I was talking about earlier, they used to have a card game called Manila and it was largely frequented by um, by Greek gentlemen, but they they wouldn't um, you know they they wouldn't be speaking in, in in Greek necessarily, and you could set the stakes a, as high as as you wanted to. the the game would determine the players would determine the stakes on the night, and as the night progressed, the stakes became higher, and it wasn't uncommon that I would knock off my fortnight's pay on the Thursday night and then have to um, bite my grandmother for some, um, you know, for some money to uh, even be able to travel to work uh, in the city for the next fortnight. But uh, I did that constantly, you know, I was borrowing off her, borrowing off other mates and um, paying it back. And then, you know, the same thing would happen. And I lasted with that, that company for about 12 months. I swore I'd never um, uh, never do another office job. I hated fortnightly pay. And I went to work for about uh, how old? You know, probably about four years as a builder's laborer. And I still gambled. I still gambled. I found other places uh, to gamble. And uh, when I won, on occasions i'd find somewhere else to to gamble that night
1: yeah so what were you primarily gambling then cards
2: or horses yeah uh, well both cards and horses um uh, horses every saturday and the group that i ran with and and uh sometimes it depended on the the hotel that you were at there were different groups but I seem to be able to get on all right with most groups, but uh, sometimes I'd uh, have to bite the um, publican for money. You now, if I couldn't settle, then I just wouldn't go near that pub for quite a while and hopefully he'd forget about it or if he reminded me, I'd make some excuse. But, but pretty much every, um, every pub on a, on a Saturday uh, had an SP bookie. So it was convenient. And then I also I used to like going to the two up, and um, I found there was a there was a two up in Sydney that was at a place it was at the rear of Kinsella's, which became a theatre restaurant, but at one stage was a um, was a funeral parlour. This is up in Darlinghurst, and um, where it was located up these these back stairs. One night they had what was called a cockatoo, a person watching out. So they, the cockatoo ran upstairs and said the coppers are coming up, and it was it was set up. I don't know what you call the ma- the material, but the on the flooring it was it was for indoor bowls, and they'd had a couple of sets of indoor bowls in these bags, and everyone picked up their money. And everyone, you know, a few of the blokes that pick up the, the, the bowling balls. And when the coppers came up, <laughs> they were pretending to bowl. And the coppers, you yeah, know, they knew what was going on. Um, they're not stupid. Uh, but there was nothing they could do. You know, there was no evidence there as such. Uh, that was a funny episode. But there was a few. There, there was another. There was a good um, uh, tour up on Victoria Road in, uh, in Roselle. There was another one I went to sometimes at Strathfield. Uh, That went for a long time, and of course there was a baccarat up in um, sort of Wollamaloo between Wollamaloo and the uh, and the cross, and uh, these places were relatively easy to find.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, when you think of it, (laughs) hiding in plain sight, really.
2: Very much so, and and I've got to say that you know when the whatever year the Tad did come in, it just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same at all. And I think that's when I would try and get to, I wouldn't get there every Saturday, but try and get to the races as um, often as possible to be betting on course.
1: So obviously gambling was a a big part of your life. So did it affect your work or your family?
2: Yeah, uh, it certainly affected my family, my, my, My work seemed to be okay, largely. I I went from the builders working on building sites as a builder's labourer. Then I worked for three years in in a brewery uh, in Sydney. And believe it or not, there was a, um, he's well and truly dead now, Alan Green, but he, he took a hell of a lot of money off me and a lot of the other workers there. He was the SP on site. Uh, just one of the co-workers taking bets and so we were you know earning very big money because working you know 60 hours a week and um and of course blowing it and then after that I went to uh, I got into the ship repair industry and again um colossal money I was I was married when I was 20 and um uh we had a had a son and you know, sometimes I just didn't weigh in any money to pay the rent. And other times if I had a good win, I'd sort of throw it on the lounge and now help yourself and like a big shot, you know. And it wasn't very nice. And, uh, um, yeah, my um, uh, I was divorced after about 15 years but and my, my first wife passed away at a young age as well. She, she put up with a lot and didn't really squawk about it. You know, really put up with a hell of a
1: lot. Some people expect to be treated badly. I've found that it's not a, you know, they just sort of put up with what we consider to be unacceptable behaviour. Yeah.
2: She, she, she was a good woman and a good mother and uh, she didn't deserve what, what I offered.
1: Yeah. So when did your gambling start becoming a problem to you? I think when um
2: even though i was I was working in, in jobs and probably earning double whatever the um the minimum wage was then or or even more depending on the hours, it sort of wasn't enough and then I used to borrow and I used to borrow off um well strictly speaking they they weren't even they were money lenders and my grandmother had—I I sort of followed this on from from my grandmother, who also used to borrow money off a moneylender, Mr. Brown, and I don't know what sort of interest he was charging her back then. But quite often, when she'd blown all her money, she'd tell me, as a little kid, to go—you know, as a ten-year-old or something—to go to the door and just say, "Nana's not home," because she couldn't pay him. And uh, this particular bloke, I saw him in. Balmain RSL when I was in my 20s. And yeah, I gave him him a bit of a a serve, say the least. parasite, you know. And then, but I, then I was borrowing uh, off similar type of people as, and then of course I managed to, I think this was, this was, um, how old was I then? Oh, this, this, this probably happened at about, I'll jump ahead if I can while it's on my mind. 1983, and um, I got a I got a job, and I someone there said to me, "Join the credit union, you know, and start a Christmas club and all this," which I did. And into about three weeks in, and I was only having something like twenty dollars a week taken out of my pay. About three weeks in, I went to the credit union and made an appointment with the uh, loans officer. And said, and I think it was, yeah, it might have been three, four hundred dollars or something. I need to borrow. What for? Oh, he's going to ask what for. Oh, the dentist. I need dental work. He said, um, "Give me the give me the name of your dentist, and we'll make out a check for your dentist." I went, "Oh, a check? Uh, he'll only take cash." Well, no, that's not the way they operate. I said, "No, look." The dental work I'm having done is probably would have cost over a thousand dollars, but this dentist has been disbarred, but he's still practising. So we've got to do it through cash. And the loans officer looked at me and scratched his head. I'm sure he said to himself, "Well, this bloke is shonky, but you know it's a hell of a good story, and I got the money." (laughs) money. And that was a that was a the the first loan, and then you know I got. Uh, credit cards after that. And they were all maxed out. And then I opened another account with another uh, institution. And um, all of a sudden there was 8,500 owing on that. And then later on, I decided, I know a way around this. Um, So I won't have to weigh in money for groceries and, and stuff. I'll get a David Jones card. So in no time at all, I've got a David Jones card, which was twelve. Ah, no, how much? Six thousand, or I forget the exact figure, but I know the interest rate was over over twenty one percent. So, yeah, that was that was a killer as well. So, I was in a hell of a lot of debt. And even when I did win, the the trouble was, I didn't sort of, or very rarely, thought about paying any of the debts off. You know, would take the wife out for a bang up meal, and say, you know, buy some new clothes, and you know buy a gold chain or something like that you know screw all the
1: banks and that you know that they, they got plenty so how how did you continue to do that it must have been very difficult for you to manipulate all that
2: uh, I it, it was it was incredible i was forever chasing my tail and would would borrow one to pay another and i at one stage i had it wasn't a it wasn't a proper calendar, but it was like a calendar where I, you know, I'd have the names of the institutions or where I had the money, and uh, with an arrow pointing on a particular date. So I'd pay that one to shut them up, and then uh, I'm using from another institution to pay that. So yeah, it all it all went it all went haywire, to say the least. So what does haywire mean for you? Well. One person said to me, "Have you ever thought about going bankrupt?" And at this stage, I, I didn't have a house, and and I guess all my life that was what I was hoping to be able to achieve—to win enough to uh, to buy a house. And it was it was just it was just an absolute mess. It was an absolute mess. And and sometimes at, at at some stages, you know, in my early 20s, I was working three jobs. Uh, I, was, I was working during the day, doing an office cleaning job at night, and I either worked at, um, I worked at a couple of different clubs or, or did bar work in, in, um, in pubs of a weekend just to, you know, just to feed the gambling habit, really, and, and, and try and keep people at, uh, at bay. One time, I was uh, we were renting this this house in Roselle. I hadn't paid rent for about I don't know eight or ten weeks or something. And my first wife wasn't aware of it, and the um, the owner came down. He threatened to kick me out, and I started laughing. It was very I was also very immature when I think about it, the things I did. He was having a a hair transplant at the time, and these little. And I just kept pointing at his head and laughing at him, you know. I, I wasn't li- I, I you know, but I again, um, I think this time around I borrowed off someone in the family and, and paid up the rent or paid a percentage of it and then eventually was squared it up. But it was it was always the same, you know. I was I was always in debt, you know, not not drinking in a particular pub because i owed the you know, owed the publican. Or I had no more credit with the the SP bookmaker at that pub sort of things so. and there was also i got to say there was also some crime involved that came along to try and um, yeah to to just try and give me some more money you know and i got mixed up with a couple of blokes one, one of the blokes he, he he's dead now i knew him from my Mid-teens from the snooker room I used to frequent, and then I probably hadn't seen him for about 15 years. And I bumped him uh, at Ranwick Racecourse one day, and we started to hang out together. And with another old mate, we did some business together, and and got pinched. Extremely, extremely lucky not to have um, had a holiday at Her Majesty's pleasure uh, when that
1: when that happened. Yeah. Okay, listen, well, so we might take another short break there. An Australian boxer's in trouble for wearing a T-shirt bearing the Aboriginal flag into the ring for his first Olympic fight. Will Damien Hooper be punished by our team officials?
0: Yes, Australia's team officials say they will counsel Damien Hooper against wearing the T-shirt, and they have reported the incident to the IOC. Empire. Empire, we an empire,
4: empire, empire, we an empire. Rome is falling, Babylon too. Aboriginal still here, that's true. We an empire, empire, we an empire, empire, empire. We an empire, Rome is falling, Babylon too. But aboriginal still here, that's true. Uh. Don't box me as a conscious rapper If you wanna label me, call me a natural disaster I'ma take hands and rip shreds off any actor Lad in the lab, I'm a chemical reactor Matter of fact, I've had enough of all the chatter So in the ladder, let me clear all the clatter Let's get down to business of what really matters Black lives bladder, all up on the alva No, ain't nothing new, we got nothing to prove 50,000 years of proof, we do what I do And to you choose to move our artifacts Fuck it, I'm bringing it back yeah, I'm proud to be black, proud of the fact we're the oldest people on the map. And they try to move our history. How fucked up is that? White tree, white, white lies, and the hope the gold don't realize it's a privilege to have our ties. We an empire, so just hold your head high. We survive, now we thrive. We got nothing to hide. It's black pride, black lives, but this country we got black ties. So you know that you come from a long line. Empire, empire, we an empire. Empire, empire, we an empire. Rome is falling. Babylon too Aboriginal still here That's true We in empire Empire We in empire 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 We in empire Rome is falling Babylon too But Aboriginal still here That's true Sheesh to is scary. Educated black man, I'm a visionary. We rarely vary when they cherry-pick our itinerary. On the contrary, it's very necessary to answer arbitrary questions that they bury and the hopes that they can still carry on. the wary, hysteria. Hysteria, I got them throwing Hail Mary's but beware, we gon' be singing Swing Low Sweet Cherry. Yeah, I will never stop till we reclaim the top spot. What I plot, got these enemies on the trot. They order to right for what they got. Tryna pull up a revamp Vengeance ain't my mascot. So we've been through it all from the summer to the fall. But no matter what, we always stand tall. We an empire, so just hold your head high. We survive now we thrive. We got nothing to hide. It's Black pride, Black lives, but in this country we got black ties. So you know that you come from a long line. Empire, empire, we an empire. Empire, empire, we an empire. Rome is falling, Babylon too. Aboriginal still here, that's true. We an empire. Empire win, empire, empire,
1: empire win, empire, Rome is falling, yeah. let it burn, let it burn, let it burn, let it burn, I said Rome is yeah. Ah And that song was by Ziggy Rambo, it was called Empire and again it was courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.
3: Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital
2: to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager, or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone.
0: Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs program. We are the defenders of government schools. Twelve pm on Saturdays here on 3CR 855 and the AM Dial podcast. Streaming live on 3CR.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it.
1: Uh, This is The Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Paul about recovery from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. So, Paul, it it must have been quite hard with all those stresses of financial stresses on you. So what triggered you to seek help? Okay,
2: well, you know, from my... Uh, from my teens throughout my twenties and thirties, till I was in my forties, I was still gambling. My gambling was out of control. I was in, you know, trouble quite often. And one day, uh, or one early morning after a um, a three-day uh, sort of around-the-clock gambling binge, I came home. I'd, I'd only been married to my second wife for 12 months and already we were sleeping in separate bedrooms i couldn't sleep uh, i suffered uh with really bad insomnia and so i was taking sleeping tablets uh, this early hours of the morning it's when i came home i think it was a friday i took the contents of the uh the sleeping tablets my ex-wife um, found me uh you know she hadn't heard me and that and obviously rang an ambulance and I woke up in um, Prince Alfred uh, Hospital and they, they brought, I don't know if it was a psychiatrist or a psychologist around and he asked me some questions and I went into Rosal Psychiatric Hospital um, as a result for about three weeks and um, that's when I got some, well, I got exposure there both to AA and to, to GA. And that was, that was the best thing that could have happened to me, that I, did that I did that time in there.
1: So were there many other people in there with you in a similar situation?
2: Yes, there were. There were, um, it, you know, a couple of people I kept in contact with for a fair while. I don't, don't see now, unfortunately. I like to say that. But it was, it was the best thing that could have happened at the time. And yeah, you know, there was there was individual counselling, there was uh, there was group counselling, there was obviously government funding back then for this institution, and uh, then they'd even take you out in a bus sometimes to go to visit a meeting. So you did have some exposure as well, well as I, I think uh, I think it was one night a week. I forget what it might have been a Thursday night or something, Wednesday night. That um, they used to hold a an in-house meeting at uh, at the hospital
1: what did you think when you understood the fact that you're suffering from a from an illness yeah you know, what did that mean to you well it really
2: meant that it was something that I didn't have any control over whatsoever
1: and did that did that make you feel better
2: I wouldn't say it made me feel better it just gave me some understanding of what was going on. When I went in there and I shared this recently, I'd seen, uh, that was 1994. I'd seen a movie several years earlier called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson and I loved the movie. And I thought, how good was it, would it be to be mad you know, I, I thought it would be, that would be an experience. I, yeah, and here I was in this place and, uh, you know, not totally insane, but certainly on my way, on my way. And I'm thinking,
1: my God, what, where, where did I get here? Yeah. So what happened when you got out? You obviously continued going to GA, but was it an easy thing to do to just go to GA?
2: Yeah. By then I was... Living in Redfern, and there was a a hospital within five minutes walk of my place, I think, and uh, it was called the Rachel Foster Hospital. It's no longer there. It's been developed as a block of a huge block of units. But, and they had this meeting room called the Roundhouse, and I went to my first meeting there on a Friday night, and. Um, a whole world opened up to me. The first GA meeting. Yeah. I thought, this is good. These, these people, they're not square heads. They're, you know, they're knockabouts and there were some characters and there were, you know, it was incredible. Obviously some of the people had passed away. There is, there is one lady who's, um, was at my first meeting and I saw her a couple of weeks ago and, um, uh she doesn't live in Sydney anymore but and she's in her eighties now and uh she still gets to a meeting occasionally and stuff like that. So yeah, it's 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 very, very it was very, very good. But I've gotta say the the thing is that initially, even after I got out of the um after I got out of the hospital, I thought, you know, if I can stay off the punt for three to six months I'll be able to get my head together. It'll be a bit unscrambled. And, um, you know, I'll be able to get, because I'll be able to control it. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was my insanity. Thank God for GA because I learned along the way, you know, I'm suffering from a, a pathological addiction. I would describe it as my behaviour was compulsive. Without GA, I wasn't going to get anywhere. And and at that very first meeting, Bill and I, I'm blessed for this. A man I can use his surname now because he's passed away, named Philip Sydney. He was at my first meeting. He befriended me. He talked to me after the meeting. He was the founder of GA in Australia. He he uh, he uh, he founded the first meeting was in a little church hall up in surrey hills not far from redfern i think it was about 1961 and he'd been uh, he was an ex warfie phil he'd uh, he'd been gambling free for all our time and uh, we spent a hell of a lot of time together in fact i had i had steady employment at the time i was working local government and uh but after I had the episode, which led me to be in the psychiatric hospital, I applied for six months' leave. Some of that was without, without pay. And um, I just, I just went, to meeting. I went to meetings every day. If there were two meetings on a day, I'd go to the two meetings. I threw myself into it, boots and all. And uh, I'm grateful that I did that. I learned a lot, met a lot of great people. Fabulous people, yeah, yeah, really good, good hearts. But Phil was the catalyst, and even though we talk about sponsorship in GA, he he never didn't want to, you know, me to call him that he was my sponsor. He's just my mate, you know, just my mate. And even though he was probably, I don't know, must have been 20-something years older than me uh, at the time, yeah, we we got on well, and he helped not just myself, but there's still some people I see at meetings that were around or came in within a year or so of me, and um, are still around. Yeah, got good recovery. So, when did you start to take it seriously? Well, as I said, certainly not the first first meeting. It was like a process of osmosis, I suppose that. The more meetings I went to, then I, I, what I wanted was I'm thinking, because initially I'd thought about being able to have a break from this and getting my head unscrambled and being able to control it. I, th- I always thought it was a problem about control and that if I could control it, I could still gamble. And I could gamble sensibly, uh, if there is such a thing. But... I came to learn that that wasn't going to be the case. That I had to I had to put this all behind me, and just not gamble again. But even even today, and I share this at meetings, I have you know, I quit smoking 23 years ago. I quit smoking on the first day. I took two two weeks off work. The first day I get up it was a Monday. I had four packets of cigarettes in the house. Six o'clock in the morning. I'm not gonna have a cigarette till 10, make 10 o'clock. I'm not gonna have a cigarette till 12 or two or something like that. Got through the first day, got through the first week, but I've never said that I've given up smoking for life. I've never said I've given up smoking, I've I've given up gambling for life. I just, I haven't gambled today, and haven't gambled for 9,600 and something days behind that. So
1: how's your life changed? Well, getting honest is a big change, i'm sure Oh, look, it is,
2: but i've got to say um and i'm uh, you know people will listen to this this podcast and and I've listened to others and and think, well um all paul's problems are are resolved no, they weren't there's day to day problems in life there's um there's you yeah, have problems with children. There's a problem with relationships with your, your partner. And uh, things were, were far from perfect with relationships. And later on, many years down the track, I was, um, I was divorced from my second wife. Stuff happens. So what's
1: your life like now?
2: Well, it's pretty good. I've been with my, my partner now for 16 and a half years. We've recently, a, a, couple, a year or so ago, been able to pay off the mortgage on the house. Prior to that, you know, we were, we were renting places, uh, various places, but we, we found a place that um, we could afford my life has much improved. I've got to say one thing. When I was gambling, I remember one time I was at the um, the Woolloomooloo Bay Hotel and I won a large amount of money one Saturday on the races. And I had, a, I had a particular female partner at the time who didn't mind coming to the pub with me, didn't mind me betting or anything else, you know, anyway. So I gave her all the money. And that I'd won that day and said, now, don't give it back to me. I you know, would have kept a hundred bucks or something uh, for drinks. But I said, don't give it back to me under any circumstances. I said, I want you to go to the flight centre on the Monday and book a trip to Fiji. I said, let's have two weeks in Fiji. And when I won in the past, I mean, I've been to Fiji three or four times back then. but Or I'd fly up to uh, the Gold Coast or one of the Barrier Reef Islands when I won. I never sort of considered going to Europe. I never thought about it. I wasn't interested in you know, museums or architecture or history or anything else. With my partner now, we've, we've traveled fairly extensively overseas. We've had a lot of trips, a lot of beautiful trips, a lot of good memories. Hey, I, just a different way of looking at things, different interests. Um, I'm, not, I'm not interested in gambling. I remember at at, at work, <laughs> this is true, <laughs> I don't know if you'll have to edit this, um, I'd, I'd make appointments on Melbourne Cup Day because the, the company I was working for would make this big show up in the boardroom and, you know, have the TV screen and have food and everything else. Anyway, for about, for about 12 years in a row, I'd make dental appointments. I'd make, I, I even finished that in Concord Hospital on a Melbourne Cup day, they have a, uh, what do they call it? Uh, oh, Concord yeah. Yeah, <laughs> anything. I've only got caught out once, and for some reason, and I'd forgotten to make appointments and that, and I was there, and I hated being there, because these people, like, they're having a $2 sweep. And they're jumping up and down with excitement. I go, look at these lunatics! You know, you're like, what are you going to win? You're going to win twenty bucks or something. You know, what's the point of that? Yeah, so you know, but it's 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 people's pleasure and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, a local club, if I can share this, um, about ten minutes from my house in, in Sydney uh, during the COVID period, of course, was shut down. I I walk through a park which is opposite this club, to walk up to the railway station. I'd seen a couple of days before they were doing signage about it reopening. Anyway, I was going up to the station and it was about an hour before the club was due to open um, this day. It could have been a Monday or Tuesday. And I kid you not, the people were lined around the, around the block waiting to get in. And I'm thinking, these poor bastards, they've... They haven't been able to go to the club. They haven't been able to, you know, play poker machines and whatever. And uh, now they've got all this money and they're,
1: you know. They're just going to blow it, yeah.
2: Yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's frightful.
1: Yeah, it's tragic. Okay, well, that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank Paul for sharing his, his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous has helped him. Thanks, Paul.
2: My pleasure, Bill. It's been great. Thank you.
1: If you'd like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Victoria on 03 9696 6108 or go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information or for local phone numbers. Uh, what's the number in uh, Sydney, Paul? It 9727
2: uh, 5519.
1: Thank you. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature a guest from Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned now for Alternative. And to take us out, we have Kira Piru with Idiot. And again, it was courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.